It is uh, considered, uh, well, I don't know if I would say considered by many, it is considered to me to be uh, the finest uh, Easter joke that there is. And uh, I don't know if you know this, this is actually a true thing, but um, jokes and humor uh, historically in the church have actually been central to the Easter story uh, be- because uh, in the Easter story, Satan thought he had won the last laugh and the last laugh turned out to be on him. And so going back centuries, honestly, um, go- going back hundreds of years, uh, the, jo- the-, the church has tried to find a way to work humor uh, into the Easter story and into the Easter narrative. And so every year I look for a joke to tell and I, I usually end up telling the same one most years because this is the finest joke. I don't want to oversell it, but this is the finest Easter joke that there is. The story goes like this, that there's a farmer in his truck and he's going down a, a country road and it's starting to get just dark a little bit and all of a sudden this massive bunny kind of jumps out in front of the truck. He tries to swerve, he can't. He ends up uh, hitting the bunny and Easter eggs just go sprawling everywhere and, and the farmer gets out and sees what's happened and he believes in this moment and it's actually true that he has killed the Easter bunny. Tries, this isn't the funny part by the way, but... Um, <laughs> He tries to revive the bunny, but it's all in in vain, and he's just desperate. He says, my goodness, I have ruined Easter for uh, millions and millions of of children. What on earth am I going to do? And at this moment, uh, this little old lady comes driving down that same country road, and she sees what happens, and she says, I know exactly what to do, and she pulls out this aerosol can out of of her handbag, and she goes up to the Easter bunny, shakes it really good, and and sprays this spray all over the Easter bunny, and when she's finished, all of a sudden the Easter bunny and he jumps up, uh, jumps a few feet, turns back, and does this. Jumps a few feet, turns back, and, and waves again. This goes on and on and on and on. And the farmer is speechless. He's very happy that the Easter Bunny has survived, but he's speechless. He says, what was that you sprayed on the Easter Bunny? And she showed it to him, and it said, hairspray revives your hair and adds permanent wave. <laughs> wow. It's the best there is. <laughs> all right, so I, I, I believe me, I've, I've looked all over. That, that is the best there is. And, and that, is, uh, that is a resurrection story. It, it is, it's a resurrection story. And, and today we're gonna be looking at another much better uh, resurrection story. And what we've been doing in this series, if you've been here the last three weeks, is uh, we have been trying to slow down just a little bit. And uh, the name of the series has been The Sounds of Easter. That we're, we've been trying to listen to Easter. All right, what, what did it sound like? What was it like? And uh, today, you, you may think you kind of know the direction this is going. Oh, it's the sound of the stone rolling, or, you know, it, it's this, you know, like on the video, that the sound that we heard there. And uh, I want to point to a different sound. Those are sounds of Easter, but I want to point to a little bit of a different sound if you'll go on a journey with me this morning. Let's, let's pray. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for the power of it. May we walk in it. Uh, May we not just believe in it, may we internalize it, and may it change uh, our lives for the better. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There are a couple like you, there there are a couple sounds that I love. Uh, There's a couple sounds that I love. One of them is uh, sometimes my seven-year-old and my one-year-old will be playing in the other room, and um, my seven-year-old will do something funny, and, and they'll start giggling together. 
and pretty soon the giggling turns into just a raucous laughter. And my wife and I will be in the other room just listening to our children laugh, and I love that sound. Uh, I love the sound of the Michigan State fight song. I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I, I, I have it on an app, I have it in our house. I love the, the, the sound of it because usually it means something really good has happened. Uh, our team has scored or we've taken the lead and I've grown to love that sound. I love beach sounds, uh, the sound of uh, water on the shore, the, the sound of wind. I love being on the beach, I love that sound. There, there's a couple sounds that I love. There are sounds that I hate as well and you're, you're the same way. Uh, the sound of an alarm clock going off. Um, uh, I'm at a point in my life, uh, partly because I'm in my 40s now, but where I don't need to set an alarm. We also have two children, so there is no, there's no reason for an alarm, right? Um, so we don't usually set an alarm, and if I do have to set an alarm, it's usually like very, very early in the morning, you know, like uh, before Jesus wakes up sort of thing, you know? Um, you know, I get up to pray, and I'm like, I'm not even sure he's awake yet, you know, but that's okay. So, so I, I hate the sound of an alarm. Uh, a crying baby it's difficult. I don't know if you know this, but when they're trying to like uh, uh, interrogate someone and break them down uh, in, in prison, one of the things they'll do when they're back in their cell is all night long, they'll play the sound of a crying baby um, because that will break you down more than anything. It was like, I will literally give you anything to stop crying, right? Wh- whatever you want. You want candy? You want whatever? I will give you anything to get you to stop crying. And so cr- a sound of a crying baby is hard to hear as well. And this is a sermon about a man uh, whose worst moment and best moment were associated around a certain sound. And, and it surrounds the Easter story. And like I said, when you think about Easter, you think about the sound of the, the rolling stone. But this sound, I think be, for, the, for this one man, I think it forever became the sound of his redemption, the sound of grace to him. Our story starts a few days before Easter. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. It's super tense. If you were a follower of Jesus, it would be really, really tense. The disciples, after Jesus' arrest, the disciples have mostly scattered. They've run, they're hiding, they're afraid. One of Jesus' early fiery apostles, right, just fiery apostle named Peter, follows at a close distance. And let me read to you this story. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And once, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him. So just imagine the scene. She kind of, it's dark, there's a fire. She sees him and says, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord uh, looked, uh, turned and looked straight at Peter And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is Peter's moment. I want to try to take you back there. Can you hear the fire crackling? It was around a fire that Peter denied ever knowing Jesus, one of his closest friends, his leader and his teacher. And it's hard for us to imagine this because I don't know about you, I associate fire by and large uh, with joy, all right? Because it's around a fire uh, that I get to have s'mores. 
and s'mores are from the Lord. I actually, I was talking to a preacher friend of mine. We did a Good Friday service and uh, we were gonna do the Good Friday service outside around a campfire. And I was discussing this with my preacher group and I said, yeah, we're gonna have a fire. And so we kind of feel like we need to have some s'mores around the fire at the end of the Good Friday service. And my preacher friend uh, texted back one of the greatest lines ever. He said, where sin increased, grace increased s'more. I said, it does, it works perfectly for Good Friday, right? And so it is around a campfire that you get to have s'mores. It's around a campfire that usually I'm hanging out with my family. It's around a campfire at camp that I used to sing and worship. It was around a fire that I decided to go into ministry. And so fire, for me, represents kind of joy and community and fun. But for Peter, on this night, around this fire, I think fire represented guilt and shame and remorse. And I think what made it even harder was that hours earlier, Jesus had predicted this very thing would happen. Jesus was around a meal with his early disciples uh, and uh, they were sharing it. And Jesus said, I'm telling you this very night, all of you will fall, account on, uh, will fall away on account of me. And Peter, the fiery disciple, remember? Peter says, no, if all fall away, I never would fall away, Jesus. I would never abandon you. I'm different. I'm better. I would never do that. And a few hours later, if you hear the sound around a fire, a few hours later, he did that very thing. And I bet all of us in this room can relate to Peter a little bit. It may not have happened around a fire, but there is this memory that you have in your mind of this thing that caused you regret. Maybe for you, it happened in your kid's bedroom and you were arguing and you were fighting and you said this thing that you still can't believe that you said. Maybe for you, it happened in an office space and the relationship had long ago turned flirtatious and now you have found yourself crossing a line that you never thought you would cross. Maybe for you, it happened when you were alone and you thought you had beaten the addiction, you thought you had put it away and then alone in this room, it came back to the forefront and you, whatever the sound was in that room, you associate that sound with guilt. You associate that sound with remorse. You associate that sound with regret. For Peter, it was fire. And I wonder if that sound of fire would forever be etched in his soul as the moment of his greatest regret. I believe it would have if the story hadn't continued. Thankfully, it did. You can open up your Bibles to John 21. Jesus would go to the cross. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. Jesus would go to the cross. He'd die on that cross. And three days later in victory, he would rise again. So now we're post-resurrection. Jesus raises from the dead and he spends multiple days appearing to the disciples. He has a, a series of interactions with the disciples and he spends time with them. And one of his great interactions, I think, is with Peter. Now remember, we've already had Peter around the fire doing this thing he regrets, this thing that causes shame, this thing that brings guilt. And I wanna read to you this whole story to be on the screen. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it reads in a really interesting way. So let's look at the story together. Afterward, Jesus appeared against to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. I love the Bible. It happened this way. I love the, the detail of the Bible. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you, all right? So they went out, they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing, right? This was Peter's occupation. Read the Bible, he wasn't great at it, 
right? There are multiple stories in the Bible where it's like, and Peter caught nothing, right? Um, And uh, it was early in the morning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is written by John, so he, he refers to himself this way. It's awesome, right? There are, there are the disciples, and then there's the guy Jesus loved, which was, happened to be me, right? So um, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Right? The other disciples followed in the boat, towing in the full net of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, look at this, they saw a fire of burning coals. And there on, the, there on it, were, uh, there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. It was full of a large, large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and did so with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here it comes. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. I love Peter, don't you? His personality is incredible that uh, Peter sees Jesus from the boat and he goes swimming to him. He doesn't just go running, he goes swimming, right? So we have this ritual in the morning at our house where in the morning, uh, Sam gets up. He's usually the last one up, my seven-year-old, and usually we give him uh, breakfast, and as part of his breakfast, he has three vitamins, all right? Uh, Two gummy vitamins, and one is iron, all right? Uh, Because he doesn't love me, and so we supplement him with iron. And if you've ever had an iron supplement, particularly Flintstone vitamins, you know they don't taste the best, right? They have an iron metallic taste to them. And so he, he's supposed to take these every morning with his breakfast, and that is exactly what we thought was happening. Until a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we were rearranging the furniture in our front room, and Cheryl moved the couch, and there were 40 iron pills. 40 iron pills stuffed under the couch. And so we turned to our seven-year-old, and we said, what is this? And our seven-year-old said, well, I don't know. (laughs) What do you think it is? I said, it looks like iron pills. He said, if you say so, right? Um, 
I think we tend to do that with our greatest regrets. I think we tend to stuff them under the couch and we pretend that they're not there, and we pretend like everything is just fine. And for a lot of us in this story, that is our story, that life wasn't going great. We weren't happy with the decisions we were making, and we tried to hide it. We tried to hide from God. And it is amazing to me, Peter refused to hide. He said, there is my savior, there is my Lord. And he goes running to Jesus. And I think we would be well served to do the the same thing. There is this thing inside of us that I screwed up. I made a mistake. I am going to hide from Jesus. I think we would do well to take a verse from Peter's song and say, man, I am going, I'm I'm going to resist the temptation to pull away and I am going to re-engage and I am going to run to my savior. And that's exactly what Peter did. And three times he asked Peter to, uh, Jesus asked Peter to affirm that he loves him. And I love that because Peter denied Jesus three times. So it's like three times he denied and then Jesus has this interaction with Peter and it's kind of a classic do-over situation. Did you know Jesus loves do-overs? He does. That when we have these great regrets, these great mistakes, these great sins, there is this temptation to think he is done with me and I assure you he is not. Jesus loves a good do-over situation, but it goes beyond just a do-over, doesn't it? Jesus in this interaction gives Peter a new mission and a new purpose for his life. That three times Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And there's a lot of debate about what he meant by more than these. I think one possibility is the idea of being a fisherman. Are you willing to leave your occupation behind to follow me? And then three times Jesus says, here's here's your mission and here's your purpose, Peter. I want you to feed my lambs. I know you thought you were the guy that screwed up. I know you thought thought you you were the guy that I was done with. But I want you to know, Peter, today I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I have a mission for your, for your life. And here's the deal. Here's what God is saying to Peter in this moment. I'm not done with you yet. And he's not done with you either. And all this happened around a fire. Do you think Peter recognized it in this morning? That the greatest moment of regret and the greatest moment of grace and purpose for Peter happened around a fire. It's amazing. So what I want to do this Easter Sunday is this morning, I want to invite you to the fire. I want to invite you to join me around the fire. Can you hear it? And I want you to consider for a moment your guilt. The thing you walked in here, and as soon as I started talking, you knew the thing. Say, man, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't sent that email. I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I hadn't driven over there. Whatever that thing is for you, here's what I want you to know this morning. The cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus that we celebrated and remembered a couple days ago, desperately wants to remind you that your sin has been paid for. That Jesus from the cross, he offers you grace. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you the opportunity to do it all over again because Jesus loves you and he's not done with you. And so today I want you to remind you, whatever that regret is, like, man, for some of you, it may go back 30 or 40 years. That thing, I still can't believe I said that. I still can't believe I did I still can't believe I made that decision. Grace and forgiveness is available to you through the cross. Years later, P- Peter would coin these words. And I want them, we talked earlier about hearing them and internalizing them. I want you to internalize the words of Peter. Here's what they, he said. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He, listen to this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. A couple Easter's ago, three, four Easter's ago, uh, we had started to notice that I was experiencing some hearing loss. Um, And uh, we ended up going to the doctor and they found out that uh, it wasn't just my imagination that I really wasn't hearing certain sounds, uh, like the voice of my children, of my child and the voice of my wife, right? She would talk to me and it's like, I'm not hearing anything out out of the one ear. So we went and found out I was basically functionally deaf in that ear. And what they discovered was that my stapes bone in my inner ear had solidified and froze, caused me to lose a bunch of hearing. And uh, they went in and they replaced it with a prosthesis so that it can vibrate and I can hear better. You could say it this way, the doctor healed me. And this is the same word that Peter uses. Peter would identify that sin is the disease. Sin is the disease that is messing up our relationship to God. It causes us to hide. It causes us to avoid him. It causes us to refuse to come near him because we know how holy he is and we know what he expects. But here's what the text says. Jesus is the doctor. He is the great physician. He is the healer. And here's how he did it. He offers from the cross to take my sin into his body and he offers me grace. Here's how the great theologian Martin Luther said it. He said that in the cross, we experience the great exchange. That in the cross, I give Jesus all of my sin and he gives me all of his righteousness. And if you can find a better deal than that, I would urge you to take it. There is no better deal than that. Because when that happens, when I give Jesus my sin and he takes it into his body and he gives me his righteousness and I receive that, now I am free to know God because God sees me as righteous. Now I am free to hear from God, to run to God. No longer do I have to carry shame and guilt and regret because I am forgiven. So the cross reminds me of that. The resurrection reminds us, the cross reminds us we receive grace. The resurrection reminds us that God's not done with this yet. The resurrection is a classic God's not done story. Because when you go to a funeral like me, you kind of expect that things are done. The resurrection reminds us that it is not done, that there is more life to come. There is more to the story, that God's not done with us yet. And it was true for Peter and it's true for you as well. Here's how the Bible says that the resurrection reminds us that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And what is that spirit doing? That spirit is gifting you and empowering you and motivating you and helping you to do what? To live, right? The same power that encouraged and helped Jesus to live 2,000 years ago is at work in you, helping you to live life fully. So while our sins are forgiven, the resurrection tells us we don't have to go back and live that life. We can live different and better lives. We can live life God's way. We can live out his purpose and his plan. We can live life fully the way God intends us to live. The resurrection teaches us that because the same power that rose him from the dead, the same spirit that brought him life will lead me to life as well. So in the cross, I find grace. In the resurrection, I find purpose. And here's the deal. Just like with Peter, and just like with all the early apostles, someday God will determine that my work here on earth is done. Someday God will determine that my purpose has been achieved, and someday God will determine that yours has as well. 
And the resurrection reminds me that when my work here is done, God's not done. And life continues. And I'll experience a resurrection from the dead, and you'll experience a resurrection from the dead, just like Jesus did. And we will live forever with each other and with God. It will be a place of no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the Bible says the old order of things has passed away. So Jesus, through his resurrection, is leading us to life. And that is true here, that he is, just like with Peter, he has a new mission, a new purpose for us. We don't have to go back to our old life. We can live new, vibrant, exciting, full lives. And it's true at the end of this life as well, that someday resurrection is promised to us and we will live forever with God. And it was a post-resurrection experience around a fire that reminded Peter of these truths. So I want to share you one more writing as I close from, from Peter. Here's what he said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is, better, better to, uh, that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer all kinds of trials. Those have come that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an un inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can you hear it in Peter's voice? That because of the resurrection, he has purpose that even in his suffering, he says, I, even in suffering, I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to give honor and glory and praise to Jesus who conquered the grave. So you hear Peter's purpose in these words. It's like, I have a reason for living. I have a purpose for living. But can you also hear that he has an unshakable hope? This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of Easter. This is the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead being at work in us. It gives us hope. It gives us grace. It gives us purpose. It gives us joy, hope, and peace in all things. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his resurrection. It changes everything. And I thank you for Peter's life around the fire that around this fire, he experienced his greatest regret, I would assume, his greatest sense of shame. And it was around a fire that you reminded him that he was forgiven. And it was around a fire that you reminded him that he, you have a plan and a purpose for his life that is amazing. As we get ready to receive communion right now, may we remember the same thing that we are forgiven, thank you. By Jesus' death, we are forgiven. But you're not done with this yet. You have a plan and you have a purpose for our life. Help us to live it out. Help us to live it out, Lord. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.
we're gonna receive the Lord's Supper together. This is a, um, a, a thing that Jesus gave us as a gift that we would remember. We take it at our church every single week because we wanna remember this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that offers us grace and offers us new life, just like it did for Peter. And so you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus's body. The top cup has some juice representing his blood. And this is an opportunity for you as a, as a believer in Jesus to say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for your peace. Thank you uh, for your forgiveness. And this is an opportunity for us to thank him. And uh, then I'll come back up in just a few minutes as we have spent a little bit of time with the Lord. I'll come back up when everybody's got theirs and we'll take it all together as a church family, as, as a memory that this is one of the gifts that God gives us, is his, his holy church. So let's receive it and then I'll come up and we'll, we'll take it together.